Well, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast, this new series of conversations with some of the key leaders and influencers from across the vast UK infrastructure sector. My name is Anthony Oliver, and I'm going to lead today's discussion. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about transforming infrastructure performance, moving beyond productivity. For decades, infrastructure sector clients have waged a battle to improve the supply chain's woeful design and construction productivity, driving down costs and accelerating delivery times. But in reality, should more effort be focused instead on driving towards better overall asset performance and achieving better overall economic and social outcomes? To discuss this issue, my guest today is Andy Mitchell, Chief Executive of Thames Tideway Tunnel, who right now is building the £4.3 billion 25km supersur beneath London. Andy was also until recently co-chair of the Construction Leadership Council, playing a key role in helping the sector to work with government to improve outcomes. Andy, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, very pleased to be here. Well, let's start with some definitions. Um, I mean, I just made the distinction between infrastructure performance and industry productivity. I mean, am I right? Is the focus still on driving down costs and accelerating program? I mean, what does transformation of infrastructure performance look like to you, Andy? Well, I think you are right. Uh, and and I, there's, there's no doubt both of these issues need dealing with. I think the first point of productivity um, is arguably more familiar to people uh, because we've talked about it for years. How, how many industry reports have we had that have said the same thing o- over my career, 30, 40 years or whatever? Um, and there's no doubt um, we've really got to start moving the dial here. We've said it for long enough, but I think the imperatives that uh, you know, we're now facing are, are making that even more clear. So I, I don't think it's an either-or. Uh, I think we need both, but they are quite different things. And, of course, when we talk about delivery productivity, we tend to think of cost and time, but you know, you've, there's a third currency called carbon, um, and there's many, many other ways of, of measuring the effectiveness of, uh, of delivery. So I think we ought to um, recognise that we're talking about um, how we build things more sustainably. But then the second part of... Um, well, how do we build better things uh, that are more appropriate? And that's the what the why we're doing it. Yeah, yeah um, uh, and and there it's absolutely right. We we need to be looking at that in a way way broader sense. Um, you know, the economic and social uh, outcomes that we're trying to achieve, and and that then takes you to trying to put some shape and definition to to to, to value in the broadest sense. Uh, but that's got to mean social value um, in, in, in that way. So I, th- I think it's both. Uh, I think one is a, the second one is a perhaps a newer challenge and uh, something that people have got to get their heads around. But but without, without both, we're going nowhere. Okay. Well, well, a year ago, the government's Infrastructure and Projects Authority produced its Transforming Infrastructure Performance Roadmap to 2030 and that highlighted a way that the sector can move towards creating these better outcomes. How will this document help? Well, I think it's a very useful document. Um, I think it's interesting that it was first um, produced in, I think, 2017, and already we're on a uh, the, the um, 2030 version, and, and and you can see that that's evolved quite quickly. Um, but uh, but I I think it's a good um, framework. Um, you know, the f- the five focus areas um, I think speak much more to what we've just been talking about of. Um, improved outcomes for people and nature. You know, the third focus, the platform approach, I think is um, is vital. You know, we all talk about 
uh, MMC and offsite and that kind of stuff, but uh, really getting um, that embedded as a way of thinking and, uh, and geographically uh, as well, uh, I think is a, is another emphasis that we that we we see larger now than before. So I think the, you know, the, the five key areas make total sense. Um, arguably not rocket science in any of them, but I don't think there's rocket science in much of what's being said. This is about getting real. Yeah, um, but, but it's so, about getting 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 clients to think, I suppose, a bit more about what they're trying to achieve uh, right at the start, yeah. Like, and it dovetails uh, with the work you did when you were at Construction Leadership Council, you know, with the publication of the Construction Playbook, which is about mm. creating this best practice framework to improve uh, project outcomes. I mean, there's a lot in that. I mean, give us the elevator pitch for um, for the, the playbook. You know, why is that so important? So I I think the, the significant thing about the playbook, as I say, there have been many, many other reports about, you know, how, how things could be done or need to be done differently. But a really significant point for me is that this is a product from the Cabinet Office. It's unashamedly, in, in, their, in their view, it's a direction, it's a blueprint for all government departments, uh, and, I, and I don't think we've seen that before. It's a real sign that government uh, are taking this very seriously. And a huge amount of effort. I can't think of the number of sessions I sat in on all the way through the sort of lockdown period people working very hard but it wasn't just the government departments it, it was private sector development or developers as well it was the the big supply chain players and um some of the smes as well so i think it's a very encouraging piece I, all the discussions i've had with players in the industry and the supply chain see this as a big step forward right yeah yeah but the supply chain has a massive role to play and respond and and, and as the cabinet office have said to, to industry, if you see uh, government clients that aren't uh, following the principles, you need to call it out. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and, I, and I don't think I've heard a government say that quite so clearly and, and brutally before. It, you know, there is a comply or explain principle within this document. And so I think this is a uh, a really encouraging sign of government recognising the role they have to play and, and we've got to support it. But uh, and I and I get that and uh, and I think you know the work you did there is is recognised as really taking the industry uh, and and the government forward on that. I, I have to mention, I suppose, that we've gone through yet another change of um, government departments and, and another reorganisation. That's hard, isn't it? When you you're, you're constantly trying to work out uh, who you're dealing with as 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 as, as the minister and now which department you're 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 dealing with. Yeah, I mean. I... It's not. It's, it's not ideal. <laughs> I think you'd have to say, but you know, I I think uh, when when you look at big, uh, long term endeavours, well, and whether that's projects or whether that's uh, you know a, a minerals operation or whatever, the a subject that comes up time and time again is that the constant here is the business or the project, because the sponsoring bodies, the governments, will change. And, and therefore, it's not sufficient to say, well, you know, the, the client is uh, constantly changing. Well, that's how, that's how life is. That's how politics works. Um, and we've just got to understand that and recognise that, therefore, a big part of the consistency has to come from the industry. Okay. I'd, I'd, I'd say I'd describe that as a diplomatic response. Well, no, um, let, let, 
Yeah, I mean, you're currently running the Thames Tideway Tunnel Project, which you know is it's it's, it's privately funded. Um, you know, and I believe you're approaching the end of the tunnelling phase. I mean, give us an update. How are you getting on? You know, are you going to finish on time and to budget? And I suppose does that matter? So, I, well, yes, it does matter. Um, let's let's deal with that one first. <laughs> um, you know, look, whenever you're building a project, you're spending somebody's money. Um, and in this case, it's a combination of bill payers' money and, and the shareholders uh, have a stake in that. And uh, so it's important to both our owners, our shareholders, but also important to every bill payer uh, that contributes. So that, that's got to be important. And right back at the beginning of this, when we started, we talked about a, a bill range of 20 to 25 pounds, having previously talked about 70 to 80 pounds per year. Um, here we are in probably our peak year um, at £24 something or other. Um, you know, I think we, we've stuck to um, what, what we said and what people could expect. And, uh, and I think that's a big... Um, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Time, of course, that matters. Um, because we came here to clean up a river and every day that it's not being cleaned is, is, is not a good day. So, and, and, you know, we understand that. Um, we're in good shape. We have we finished the tunnelling last year. We're, we've got our last year of um, meaningful, sort of big civil engineering, big construction to go. In a year's time, we'll be um, weeks away from going live. And whilst there's all sorts of stuff to do during the commissioning to prove that it all works in all sorts of conditions, bottom line is the river will be being cleaned, and that's what we came here to do. And so it's getting it's getting quite exciting. I think we're in good shape. Um, an awful lot of things to bring together. It's really not much more about the civils and how fast is that going or how, you know, whatever. Um, it's more about all of the detail. The systems aren't complex, but there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of proof that uh, and certification that needs doing. So it's a, it's a very different year for us. But yeah, we're on we're on the home straight. We can. If I can, if I'm allowed to say, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But you know, of course you can. I mean, would you say though? that you have been transforming performance in your project? I mean, achieving better social and economic outcomes? So I think the way we, we've looked at that, um, we, if you accept the fact, and I think this is that's a, it's another debate, um, it was clear what we had to build. And you know, that's a, as I say, you could challenge that in terms of uh, outcomes and values and things. But if the principle is we needed a big pipe to collect the sewage that's going into a river. Um, that was all fairly uh, uncontroversial and arguably unchangeable. I think what we've what we've done is focused on the, the how bit um, and what can we do while we're at it to achieve the best possible outcome. So we, we've we always talked about if our challenge is to build a tunnel and do the engineering and clean the river, our vision was something much bigger and it was about changing the relationship that people in London have with their river, which is a way, way bigger subject. And we've tried to understand, well, what does that mean and what can we do to improve that? And that that goes uh, to, to how, how people use the river, but how people think about the river. We talk about a lost love affair. And it may sound a bit odd to talk about love affairs when you're building big infrastructure, but I think it's really important that it does speak to what social value could be. Uh, 
Well, it makes it relevant to the it makes it relevant to the population that's ultimately Absolutely. paying for this infrastructure, who and ultimately won't see it because it's underground. I mean, before tide tide work, of course, you were program director at Crossrail. You know, a very challenging project, uh, public project, uh, and it, you know it struggled to cr- get across the finish line. But of course, it's open now and it's looking beautiful as the Elizabeth mm. Line. Um, very different from the current project you're working on. But does a private sector client um, help change the projects? approach to you know getting across the line you know getting that outcome delivery um, uh, really nailed so I there are a lot of similarities it's the same issue of uh, you, you whatever you do you want to do it safely um, which is un, unquestioned in, in in either case uh, I, I think the thing that I, I when I compare and contrast uh, crossrail um, with, with tideway for me, I think a really uh, important piece was that we, um, yeah, we were privately funded. We had a clean sheet of paper. We could be any kind of company we wanted to be. We could set our own aspirations, our own vision. And I think we had more flexibility there. Um, I think a lot of people have expected me to say, but you know, man, the shareholders are tight with money. They wouldn't let us do this, that, and the other. And, and that's far from it. They, they actually are shareholders. Um, a lot of whom are investing pension funds and, and need, want to be able to explain to the, their pensioners that uh, their money is going, is being deployed in a good so way. They're so investing in the future. They're happy to invest in it. Yeah. Absolutely. And investing in wholesome and positive ways of doing things. And, and actually, I think we've probably had more freedom to think differently right. um, because we're not necessarily being compared with the next government project and and norms and oh, we do, well, we don't do that sort of thing we, we 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 had a clean sheet we shot for the stars in a positive way and, and the shareholders supported us so there, there's there's a lot of upside if i can say yeah does that make you a more intelligent client i think it i think it allows us to be uh, an imaginative client um and uh, i think it yeah, the, when people talk about clients and what sort of client are you, the whole Project 13 thing, the intelligent client, um, you, you can get really excited or caught up in the thick client, thin client. I, 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 I'm pretty clear on that, that you've got to be the competent client you need to be. And whether that's thick okay, or thin yeah. or whatever is a, is a matter of debate. But um, I think it's allowed us um, to do the very best that we could do as a client we've been very very clear the buck stops with us you know there's a, there's only so much risk you can or should ever want to impart on the supply chain um it's allowed us to own things uh react quickly and deal well intelligently thoughtfully with with how things go um and of course we can to to a perhaps slightly greater extent write our own rules right of course, it starts with you as the leader. Um, and let's talk about that that leadership role. Um, with the recent major projects association annual conference, you know, it talked a great deal about leadership and the need to move away from uh, the so-called superhero project leader uh, towards creating complete teams. I mean, are, are you a super... I don't think you're a superhero leader. I don't know. Uh, I mean, do you recognise this superhero leader term and do they still exist? Do you know any? Yeah, I... I... Let's uh, maybe clarify that for some of the listeners. I think when we talk about superhero project leaders, I think the principle was around the the all-knowing, all-controlling, all-directing, 
arguably autocratic um, sort of person, um, which I don't think I am. Uh, do I know people like that? Yes, um, we all do. Um, but you know, I've I've spent my entire career watching different styles of leadership, and um, I, I do buy the fact that sometimes it may be horses for courses, and and if it's if you're in a particular situation where there can be no ambiguity and there's a high degree of urgency, then maybe uh, a, a, a stronger singular style uh, might make sense. But um, as, as, as a leader, and certainly the way I look at it, I, my job here is to be the architect of the culture. Yeah. And if I can create a culture where everyone working in it can excel, uh, it, it's recognised that... Uh, you know, the, the world we're in is getting more complex. You need so many different skills. It's got to be about a team performance. And I think the role of the leader has perhaps changed to be the person that can get the most out of the team, not the person that can be the biggest superhero mm -hmm. they can possibly be and the rest just do what they say. Yeah, the, world, the world's changing. Okay. I mean, you've been involved in many projects over the years. Before Crossrail, you were involved in Thameslink Programme for Network Rail and then Westrail Project and the airport terminal in Hong Kong. Um, I mean, as a serial major project leader, I mean, how do you stay focused and infused during the difficult times? I mean, what, what do you do to take your mind off these projects, Andy? You know, I think it's really important to personally really believe in what you're doing. So point number one will be don't do stuff you don't believe in. Um, what I do when it when when it going gets tough, if you like, I tend to decide to go and take on some kind of sporting challenge. You think, well, why would I do that? I haven't got enough time to do what I'm trying to do, and now I'm going to try and carve <laughs> out more. But I think it 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 helps me. Uh, it gives me some time, whether I'm swimming or running or cycling or whatever I'm doing. Um, it it I'm sure it's good for me physically, and I'm sure that's good for me mentally, um, and it gives you some time out and. I, I imagine when I'm out there cycling on my bike or doing my swimming and I have lots of time to think about the job. And of course you don't, you just focus on how badly you're swimming or, or, or you're focusing on your cycling and, and it, and it, and it just cuts you a bit of uh, slack. So uh, yeah, counterintuitively, when the going gets tough, I tend to go and take something else on. I mean, I know that um, uh, you know when you when you talk about rekindling the, your love affair with the river, I know you did a bit of rowing at, at one stage as well. But you're not rowing at the moment, though. No, um, I've paddle boarded uh, the tidal Thames. I've rowed on it twice, um, and I've loved that. But there's a big queue of people that want to do it, and I'm quite happy to watch others do it now. <laughs> Fantastic. Back to transforming infrastructure performance and moving beyond productivity. I mean, the infrastructure world is changing rapidly. We're using a lot more data and digital tools, um, yeah, whether to accelerate design and construction or preferably maybe to transform this asset operation and maintenance outcomes. I mean, how has Tarboy Tunnels embraced this need to invest uh, and perhaps save over the operational life of the asset? Yeah, so that's a, a question we asked ourselves at, at the beginning of this. And someone asked me, um, what is a, we talked about smart infrastructure, what's a smart sewer? And of course, being the engineer, I started thinking, well, it would know about itself and it would tell you when it's poorly and, and all that. But, it, but again, that typical engineer thinking, I was thinking about the, the hardware rather than um, perhaps a broader sense of what, what value uh, could, could could we bring. And uh, I've been fascinated recently looking at things like uh, the epidemiology of sewage and the fact that what we've got in our system can tell you an awful lot about the health of society. 
You know, polio outbreaks have been spotted in New York recently by sewer sampling. The COVID outbreaks have been spotted. And there's all sorts of, I think, data, um, nothing to do with what we built, but absolutely associated with the operation of what we've got, that I'm not sure we've even touched the surface of, of um, the value that we could bring. Um, and I wouldn't mind betting you could say the same about damn near any other type of infrastructure. So again, it comes back to this broadest possible understanding. I think in the context of the operation, uh, we're having a lot of discussions now with Thames Water about, okay, we've got this new um, new pipeline in the middle of the, uh, Thames's sewer network in London. Now, how can we truly integrate that into the operations? And what would have to happen to Thames's network to, as, as, as they say now, to digitize the Bazalgette network, such that it is a a an, uh, a, a ve- has has an operation that's variable, and that you can now embed uh, our new our new sewer into the daily operations and maintenance. And I think there's a massive opportunity there. I know Thames see that too, and and it's taking up quite a lot of our time now to understand well what next. Well, what's the next? I suppose the government's got a 600 billion plus infrastructure pipeline. A large proportion of investment comes from the public sector as well as the private. Uh, sum it up for me uh, for the last uh, minute or so. What does infrastructure, in your view, have to do to transform its performance and really deliver high value social and economic outcome for society for that massive investment? You know, I, don't, I think there's never been a more exciting time to be in this industry. When, when you look at the challenges that society is facing, and um, whether that's climate change, sea levels, water availability, food availability, global issues, um, a huge amount of what needs to be done is going to have to come from this industry, working with other industries. And, and, and the thing that's crystal clear is that the younger people coming into this industry get this fundamentally get this I think in a way that we've not seen before and so I think there's a huge opportunity here to turn this industry into not the source of carbon but a massive part of the solution that we're facing globally Um, and I think if we can get that bit right set our ambitions properly uh, high uh, then I think there's a really exciting opportunity and whether it's government money uh, I, I think I would argue that the private money, which for which there is a huge need, the more we get that bit right and the more that becomes something that private investors can celebrate and, um, and persuade others who, whose money it actually is, um, the easier this becomes. So it, it's a virtuous circle, but it starts with high ambition. Andy, thanks so much for joining me today on the Infrastructure Podcast. Always a great pleasure to talk to you. Some really great insights into the way we must transform the infrastructure sector. Uh, I know you're hugely busy, so thanks very much for sharing your thoughts today. No, my pleasure. Always, uh, always a pleasure to uh, talk with you. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. That's all we've got time for today, but we have more from the Infrastructure Podcast in the pipeline. If you haven't done so already, do check out the new Infrastructure Podcast website. That's www.infrastructure-podcast.com, where you'll find background information and all the latest podcasts to listen to and to share. So thanks for joining us. Thanks again to Andy, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Mm-hmm.